taking a long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about the Ashley Madison hacks. And it's going to be a little bit weird because... <laughs> this whole thing is a little bit weird. a little weird. bit weird. There's a few concrete facts and then a large swirling mess of facts or non-facts or pseudo-facts to go around. So what we do know, as far as we can know, is, <laughs> is that someone hacked Ashley Madison and said that they had stolen tons and tons of information. Ashley Madison, for those who don't know, is a website that allows you to sign up and look for people who want to have an affair if you want to have an affair. This website was essentially held blackmail hostage by this hacker group or person and said that if you don't shut down your website, ashleymadison.com, we will release all of this information that we have stolen from you into the internet. And Ashley Madison said, this is a thing. Some data has been stolen, but we used the DMCA to get the information back, which... If you're scratching your head right now at what that means, so are we, because... <laughs> we have a pretty good idea how the DMCA works. That's the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and it's there basically to force takedown of copyrighted material. It really doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would work on hackers who stole stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> at, at all. Yeah. <laughs> so they said that they got information back and that none of it got released, but apparently a lot of it got released to the dark web, and so things are being circulated there, even though they're not being reported in public because the internet doesn't usually report on the dark web, which is a whole other conversation that we can We have. should have an episode about that sometime. Yeah. So as of right now, Ashley Madison hasn't said anything in a week about what's going on. The hackers haven't said much in about a week about what's going on. Yeah. Some people have reported not being able to get onto AshleyMadison.com, which I don't know how you would go about telling people that you were trying to get on there. <laughs> you can't. But uh, yeah. so all of this is slightly confusing and slightly bizarre, given that there's a strange sort of morality running through all of this episode. So... Since we do technology and ethics here at Winning Slowly, we thought this would be a fascinating case to talk about because there's no way to not talk about ethics when you talk about this. When you talk about hacking of you know, Skype or of healthcare, you can basically just say, well, that was crappy. You shouldn't have done that. The end. Change your password. Game over. Stops being in the news. But this has a lot more ethics involved in it Precisely because the hacker had some weird sort of ethics play <laughs> at the outset of it. Right. And while some hacking actions are allegedly motivated by a sort of pseudo-anarchist approach to the internet and freedom and all of these things allegedly motivating these hacks, though I think usually it's more, well, to quote the internet, for the lulls, mm. this was allegedly motivated by someone saying, look, Ashley Madison is a scummy website that is enabling scummy behavior that is, under any reasonable interpretation of marriage, horrible. Enabling people to have affairs and cheat on their spouses and break their marital vows is wicked. And we agree with that sentiment. And, and yet, 
And Unlike yet. most, you know, we look at, as Steven said, most hacking attempts and say, stop that, you're just being a jerk. And here we say, uh... um, stop that, you're being a jerk, even though we completely agree with your yeah. goals. Because Ashley Madison is a terrible, scummy website that under any interpretation should stop existing because, well, it's wicked. Cheating on your spouse is wrong. Full stop. But, but. <laughs> there are certain ways about going about solving problems that are also wrong. And, yeah. well, as the old saw has it, two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, but it gets even more complicated than that because otherwise we could just be like, winning slowly, two wrongs don't make a right, <laughs> see you next week. But what's even more complicated is that the outset of this was shut down your website or I'll dox everyone that's used it. <laughs> dox being uh, internet slang for publicly exposing information. Which means that... For those of that, you who may not be. Right, right. Which means that there's some sort of benevolence, and then there's some <laughs> sort of aggression. But right. if the company does the benevolent thing, or the blackmailed benevolent thing, if the company does the thing, then the other people don't get blackmailed. So this hacker is holding the company responsible for the actions of the people that it has allowed, which in some ways makes utilitarian sort of sense. Like if people yeah. weren't having affairs via Ashley Madison, then maybe they wouldn't be having affairs. This is a logic you could put to it. I'm not sure it holds up, but that's a logic you could structure. Right. So assuming that shutting down Ashley Madison would stop all affairs would would or at least stop some affairs or at least stop some affairs or the affairs of the people who are on that website again mm -hmm. structuring the logic in the way of this particular blackmail claim makes sense but if the website doesn't agree to shut down then punishing all the people who wouldn't have been punished if the website had just shut down seems like asking your dad for $10 and then going and punching your neighbor <laughs> if you don't because get he didn't get the ten dollars or, right. or punching your brother you know somebody who's related to the situation but the brother has nothing to do with giving you ten dollars or not <laughs> and so that's a really weird sort of ethical play there right it seems as though the the hackers here were well they were trying to make Ashley Madison behave ethically for the good of Ashley Madison's users. The big problem with this, of course, is that, well, expecting Ashley Madison to behave ethically for the moral good or other goods of its users seems pretty unlikely on the face of it, given that they exist to enable immoral behavior. Just saying. And, and that people who signed up for this were signing up for the reasons of right. having an affair. So right. And there is an expectation of secrecy and privacy that these people were signing up for, I suppose. Right. But that just seems naive in the era of everything gets hacked all the time. <laughs> Go look at our episode 2.10, So You've Been Hacked, where we say, it's not if you get hacked, it's when. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that we'll touch on more in a moment, I think, is the fact that a company like Ashley Madison does have ethical responsibility for the things it is enabling. It doesn't have the sole ethical responsibility, but it does have a responsibility. But before we get to that, we should finish talking about just the reality that this hacking approach seems well-intended, but at the very least confused about 
well, how things work and also about ethics, generally speaking. Well, it's it's a very, like I said, it's a very structured, utilitarian sort of yeah. sort of line of thinking. It doesn't take into account that this website existed because it was making money, and therefore <laughs> it wants to keep making money. Like that's, right. that's just the nature of a business. The company that owns it wants to make money. And just because somebody calls them out on what they think is bad morals doesn't mean that they're going to suddenly look down and say, oh, my gosh. I, You're I, right. I, we I, were wrong. I just realized something. Like that's not, that's not going to happen. And that's, I think, why they wanted to hold the users hostage against this to say like, mm-hmm. okay, if you aren't going to look in your soul if you have one and <laughs> – and do the right thing, like we will force you to do the right thing by doxing all your users and shaming you forever via shaming your customers, which means no one will sign up for you ever again, which is also a very sort of utilitarian way to try to kill a website is to make it so that no one can ever use it again. Right. There are at least two problems with that. One of them is pragmatic in that even if you did dox all of the existing users, presumably... Ashley Madison has made whatever necessary security changes on their back end, and any future users who sign up would be protected from this particular kind of attack. Now, again, they might get hacked again, but as we've established previously, as you noted, you're always dealing with that risk. And presumably, that's the kind of thing that is not ultimately going to turn people off from this sort of misbehavior. So just at a pragmatic level, this approach was probably never actually going to succeed. At the most basic level, the idea that it would prevent other people from signing up and using Ashley Madison is interesting, but probably wrong. And therefore, you're not actually incentivizing the right party in strong enough terms. You didn't have a threat that was actually going to work on Ashley Madison. I don't know. I I think that potentially there would be people who would say, well, maybe... um..." I think there's probably some reasonable doubt sowed against Ashley Madison, but I don't think that that's going to entirely it's, crush the website. I don't right. Think that I don't it's, think it's enough of a financial threat to move the needle, as it were, for Ashley Madison as a company. Yeah, I don't think the overall needle would be moved. I I do think that people who are reading some of these stories that are starting to trickle out about lives being ruined, et cetera, et cetera. I think that there is some reasonable doubt being sowed. Yeah, that's quite possible. But that leads to the second point, which is that we're not utilitarians, and we don't think the ends justify the means. And so even if it had the intended effect, saying, I'm going to do something that is, at the end of the day, pretty unethical and pretty wildly harmful, it's one thing to say, look, dude, I know you're having an affair, you're my friend, and I'm going to talk to your wife unless you talk to her first. It is because of issues of scale and relationship and everything else, not the same to say, here are 10 million people's affair info. Here you go, the internet. Yeah. And and presumably the threat was designed to prompt some of those conversations to happen in the way that it would if you were a friend saying, hey, buddy, I just found out you're having an affair. Go talk to your wife now. Or, hey, friend, you need to go talk to your husband now. Same deal. Well, you're not the friend of these people. You're a hacker who stole their information off of the internet. Mm -hmm. And stealing information is still wrong. Mm -hmm. And threatening to expose these details in this way is Mm -hmm. still wrong. And so 
there's that two-pronged sort of failure there. One is the the failure to really understand that you're not threatening Ashley Madison's business model enough to make them change. And then secondly— At least in the very short run. Right. Ashley Madison is not going to shut down their website tomorrow. No. And then secondly, you're just doing it wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So there's all of those interesting ethical spaces and conundrums. But there's also a different end of ethical action that has to do with how people react and respond to this sort of thing. So as we said at the outset, having an affair is wrong. If you said, I will be with you forever and be with only you, and then you don't do that, you have done something wrong. That's just prima facie base level of this episode. So there are a lot of people that see this and say, adulterers are bad people, which is one level of ethical statement. And then there are people who say, I am happy to see bad people get their comeuppance. Mm -hmm. And then there is uh, another element that is interrelated, but potentially not exactly the same as those two, which is an element of righteous indignation that all of this even exists. (laughs) So... Whereas the the corporate hacking ethics is interesting, the personal ethics of how we respond to this are even more interesting to me because there is a level from a Judeo-Christian standpoint where we are called to hate certain things. And for our non-Christian listeners, there are some moral structures that people hold dearer than others. When those get trespassed, that trips a response and finding the balance between what is appropriate and what is vindictive or mm-hmm. celebratory in an inappropriate way is really difficult. It is. One of the things that this highlights at a personal level is the tendency towards self-righteousness that plagues us all. Oh, I would never do that. Or, oh, those people are so much worse than me. And, well, it may be true that they're worse than you in that they've indulged in this particular behavior and you haven't. We should not for a moment suggest that everyone is exactly the same in their having commissioned acts of moral failure. But all of us should be slow to assume that we could never, because we've all seen a lot of otherwise morally upstanding people do some horrible things when particular temptations presented themselves or particular challenges faced them in their lives. And Well, we should also be people who are swift to compassion and recognize that human failings are very human. They reflect our condition in this time in the world. And as such, we should be moved, yes, to anger that these kinds of things exist and compassion for those whom they affect, first of all, the one betrayed, the one cheated on. But we should also be people who, in the midst of our anger at cheating and our anger at the kinds of behavior that Ashley Madison enables are also those who nonetheless feel compassion for those who may have ruined significant relationships in their lives because of poor decisions that they made, because of bad things that they did. And I'm not going to put a fine point on it. They are bad things that they did. And yet there's room still for compassion and not for vindictiveness, not for self-righteousness, not for, ha now you get what's coming to you. We want justice, but Part of the reason that we have a problem with this as an ethical move is that it isn't justice. It 
looks sort of like justice if you have a particular view of how justice works. Mm -hmm. If justice is a one-to-one relationship, you did bad thing, therefore you are punished for bad thing, then that definitely looks like justice. You get what is coming to you. And to some level, to a legal standard, if there was a law transgressed and there were listed out punishments for this and you were found guilty of these things, then that is justice. There was a process. There was a procedure. You went through the whole thing. A jury of your peers or a judge said, yes, that is the thing that you have done. Now I'm going to draw from this pool of already listed, you knew about it things that are going to happen to you. That's how this thing works. Whereas this is much more akin to vigilante justice. It's still the idea of you did a bad thing, here's something that happens to you. But in the same way that going and shooting a criminal also gets you put into the justice system most of the time, that's the same sort of problem that you have with this sort of vigilante hacking justice is that you're still doing a bad thing to create this justice. You're not doing justice in the way that is supposed to be structured through the system. And this is an ongoing concern for what we would call the rule of law in that Mm -hmm. this is how we deal with crime and justice in this society. We have a system. We deal with things in an upfront way. And now there are total breakdowns in that system sometimes. Right. And there are systemic problems with that system, as we have been noting throughout the Before You Goes and as you've seen out in any news media that you've been (laughs) reading recently. Like there are systemic problems. But the nature of American society is that there is a fundamental understanding that if you break a law, you're going to jail. Right. And the fact that there are places where that breaks down and where there are exceptions to that because – People are broken and people can be bribed or bought or whatever other systemic failures exist does not mean that therefore we should excuse the absence of rule of law. Rule of law is one of the fundamental underpinnings of any society and especially any just and democratic society. You need stability and consistency in these kinds of things to work. But what further complicates it here is... Well, there is no legal recourse unless you signed a prenuptial agreement or something like that. There's no legal recourse in most of these cases. Uh, Someone could initiate divorce proceedings, etc. But the hackers are engaging in yet further vigilante justice. It is not only that, okay, here is a set of criminal or civil statutes that these people are in violation of. It is simply and straightforwardly, we think this is wrong, so we're taking matters into our own hands. And, well... While Batman makes for a great movie or comic book hero, not so much in real life. We actually don't want people doing that. And if you think you're the Batman of the internet, you're wrong. And to be fair, that's totally a desire that comes up when you see an injustice that seems to be going unchecked. Unpunished. Unpunished. Mm -hmm. People don't get what's coming to them. And so there is definitely a desire to say, well, I'm just going to do it myself then. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to contend with that because that desire exists even in people who don't go off and hack Ashley Madison. (laughs) Yeah. 
when I saw that it was hacked, there was a little thrill of joy in my heart immediately. Like that's as a married person, that was just what happened out of the fact that I'm married and that I see this as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So that's a difficult ethical question that we have to grapple with is how do we deal with things that we don't personally like that are not illegal by the society's standards, but are perhaps not encouraged by many people, some people. I'm, I'm structuring this out into a larger generalized <laughs> thing. How do we deal with things that we don't like that some people do like and others don't? And how do we deal with when things start to break down in our own moral system to seem that those would be worth condemning, whereas other people wouldn't? This goes back to an ethical episode that we had about how to disagree well. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a step further on that in that this is how do we deal with moral outrage well? Right. Right. Especially when the issues of moral outrage are contested. It isn't particularly contested, though I did bump across a few articles of people saying, yes, maybe this will be a step toward the end of shame about our sexual bondage and blah, blah, blah. And I I think those are ridiculous. If you made a vow not to cheat on your wife or a vow not to cheat on your husband, you should not cheat on your husband or wife. That seems pretty straightforward to us. <laughs> Don't break your promises. There's pretty, pretty straightforward even, to us. Even if you're a big sexual liberationist, there's still this whole keeping your word thing that might be valuable. The thing that I think Stephen's point here highlights, though, is that we do live in a society where there is tension over these kinds of things. And we've seen this in many other issues in recent weeks. I'm sure listeners can bring them to mind. And for Christians, part of our answer is, the persistent refrain throughout scripture that justice is God's and that ultimate justice is not ours to mate out. It is not our job to finally end any and every wrong and evil ourselves. And part of the answer is recognizing that we live in a pluralist society where as a consequence of that pluralism, many things we disagree with profoundly do go on and many things that we think are unethical and wrong do go on and yet what we must do as citizens of this society is live within the bounds as best we can that Mm -hmm. are set on us and that's a that's Mm -hmm. a very generalizable thing it's specific to christians in certain contexts but it's really general to everyone if we're going to have a functioning pluralistic society that recognizes that there are intractable disagreements about certain issues, then we're going to have to be able to live and let live and be able to make those strong arguments that no, this is wrong and you shouldn't do it. And even be able to make arguments about what the state of law should be, even on big, hard, difficult issues where we might disagree with each other profoundly. We need to be able to do that and yet still live well with each other and treat each other kindly as neighbors and fellow citizens along the way. And and therefore not hack each other and try to take justice in our own hands right. and force the issue. Right. And part of this is, as we mentioned earlier, not demonizing the other side. So mm-hmm. looking at those people at Ashley Madison who were using it to potentially have affairs and say, okay, you are not the enemy. Right. You are not intractably evil beyond the pale. <laughs> That's right. That's the basic way that we have to interact with each other is even though – 
we are going to make decisions that are beyond what our personal code of ethics, regardless if it's a Judeo-Christian code of ethics or a utilitarian code of ethics or some other code of ethics that comes from a religious or moral system, there's going to be things that cross that system. And that's just part of society. And learning to be able to talk with each other and not jump straight to evil, which both sides of a debate whatever the debate is, are readily available to say evil. So I'm not trying to say that one side or the other is more culpable in calling out your evil because it's available to both sides. <laughs> I think that being tempered in our arguments, particularly with people who disagree with us, is a, a necessity. And this does bring up further questions about, well, how do you interact with people who think the same as you? And that's a completely different episode <laughs> that we may have to do at some point. One other point that I mentioned earlier, and we haven't actually gotten to, and we'll have to come back to in the future, but we have mentioned often in the past is the culpability, the moral culpability of companies, including technology companies. So We've talked about that in the context of big social media, but fairly clearly here, mm -hmm. Ashley Madison has a degree of culpability in that they're enabling and a really serious degree of culpability in that they explicitly exist to enable what we think is grotesquely unethical behavior. We need to continue to work to integrate well how, as a culture, we think about enabling technology and how we think about that culpability and therefore how we structure laws and legal responses around it, because it is hard and it is complicated, mm -hmm. but it nonetheless bears doing and it warrants further consideration. And we do have to balance this against what is inevitably one of their arguments, which is, hey, we just make the site, <laughs> right. people use it. But and that's, and that's also something we have to consider in terms of how things are enabled, but how, when something is enabled, if nobody wanted to take yeah. that up, then right. that wouldn't exist. So there, there is direct culpability. Right. And, and there's a big difference between an Ashley Madison and people using Facebook for similar purposes, because one of them is oriented directly on a goal and the other not so much. So perhaps we'll come back to that at greater length in a future episode. Before you go, sort of on the topic of hacking, we saw this previous week that Fiat Chrysler's vehicles are able to be hacked on the internet. While driving. While, while driving. Turns out there might be some consequences to computerizing and networking all the things that we should think about carefully as we keep going forward. It seems to us that too often the approach has been, hey, we could network this and get some cool effects out of it. Let's do it. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, no. <laughs> we didn't think about this or we didn't prepare well enough against this. And if, as we have said, the question is when, not if you get hacked. Well, maybe cars on the highway are a thing that we should think more carefully about when and how we mm -hmm. network. The uh, old saw, you thought so long about if you could, you didn't stop <laughs> to think if you should. Thanks to Jeremy W. Sherman for sponsoring the show this month. You can see the full list of sponsors in our show notes. And if you'd like to sponsor us, you can set up a monthly pledge at patreon.com slash winning slowly, or you can just give us directly at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. All that money. <laughs> we still think that's pretty hilarious. We're probably going every to laugh time. at it every time we cash say money, it. Cash money, homie. And <laughs> 
And and you should know that we are committed to giving 10% of any support that comes into the Internet Archive because we think it's valuable to help preserve links on the Internet after their time has passed. The song at the beginning was There's No Love by We Are Magnetic. Please don't use it without their permission. We asked and they said yes. You can find show notes for this week's episode at winningslowly.org slash 3.03. And you can follow us on Twitter or app.net at winningslowly or subscribe to our Facebook page. Definitely give us a rating on iTunes if you like the show. That helps other listeners find us. We appreciate it. Until next week, thanks for listening. Freedom wants to be free and blah, blah, blah. The freedom idea wants to be free. Freedom, freedom wants to be free. Freedom wants to be free. American bald eagle cry. <laughs> I, was, I was looking for the Gordian knot. That's what I was ah, looking for. Yes. The Gordian knot, not balls of Herculean wax. But <laughs> that's a good Gordian one. Knot. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Maybe that's, it. Maybe that's the episode title right there, balls of Herculean wax. I'm going awesome. with no. I'm going with no. I think this will be the end of the episode, though.